Father, we are gathered, Lord, in your name tonight. We have the authority of heaven here in this room and the power of your Holy Spirit. I praise you for the peace that passes all understanding, for the overflowing joy that we have got within us, Lord. Father, and I pray that tonight may be a hallowed hour, Lord, together. Father, that we should be recognized by the world as people who have spent time with Jesus. Oh, Father, just bless us. Bless us so abundantly. We want only your truth, Lord. We don't want any of the flesh coming through. We just want your Holy Spirit ministering to each one of us. Father, we praise you. Thank you, Lord. Well, so far, um, we've been dealing with basic Bible studies. Uh, this is the sixth in the series, and in the first five, we've managed to do just two things. We've removed two blocks from the barrier. On one side, you remember, there's man. On the other side, there's God. And there are six stones in the wall blocking man from God. And we have seen how the first stone, which is sin, has been removed by atonement and redemption. And we've studied them both. The second stone, which I have also crossed off, is the penalty of sin. And we saw how that was removed by the fact that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, or what we called expiation. Tonight, we come to another stone. Now, could I just repeat this? Every single one of these stones is enough to keep you from God. Every one. That's why each one has got to be removed, and we've got to see how God, through Jesus, has removed each one of these stones. The third one tonight, I've entitled Physical Birth. And I will just explain exactly what that means. You see, man is born alive physically, but unfortunately he's dead spiritually. We saw this before, and if you remember Genesis 2.17, don't turn to it now, but if you remember it, it stated quite simply this. God said to Adam, In the day that thou eatest of the fruit of the tree, in that day thou shalt surely die. Now notice, it says, in that day. Now actually, of course, he didn't die physically. As soon as the fruit was eaten by Eve and then by Adam, it was not physical death that hit him. In fact, he lived for 930 years after that day. But God's word still said, in the day that thou eatest, thou shalt surely die. And in fact, Adam died spiritually. Up to that time, there were three parts to Adam. There was his body, his soul, and his spirit. And the moment he ate of the tree, the fruit of the tree, the spirit died. And that's our problem tonight. You see, in Adam, all die. Watchman Nee expresses it in a beautiful way. He says this, if your father had died before having any children, you wouldn't be alive today. Not one of you. You would have died when your father died. You would have died in your father. If your great, 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 great grandfather had been killed as a ten-year-old boy, you wouldn't be alive today. Neither would your father be alive, neither would your grandfather have lived. All of you would have died in your great, great, great grandfather. And so it is with Adam. We died in Adam spiritually. Now, unfortunately, it's hard to show people their need of a spiritual rebirth because they don't realize they're spiritually dead. When Adam died, it was the doom of the whole human race as far as the spirit was concerned. Man's spirit died. Up here, I've drawn a picture of an unbeliever, the top one is a picture of an unbeliever. Now, perhaps that doesn't look like him, but spiritually it does. He's got a body, he's got a soul, and he's got an old sin nature. The old sin nature, as we've seen, came in through Adam. But notice, his spirit, which was there, is now dead. He cannot in any way communicate spiritually, because his aerial's been broken off. The spirit is dead. He's got a body, he can feel things, he can feel heat and pain and hunger and things like this. He's got a soul in which is his intellect, his intelligence, his conscience, his feelings, his emotions. He can ex experience all of these. His old sin nature leads him to sin, but he cannot receive 
anything of a spiritual nature. Now, let's turn to two Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we'll begin at verse 9. Now, this is a thrilling passage. Verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But, as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, do you see what it's saying? The eye hasn't received it, that's part of your body. The ear hasn't received it, that's part of your body. Neither has it entered into the heart of man, that's your mind, that's your soul, that hasn't received it either. The things that God has prepared for those that love him. You see, an unbeliever cannot take in the things God's got for believers. He can't receive it. His ear isn't enough, his eye isn't enough, his mind is not enough. Now it goes on. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. They are spiritually received. No wonder the unbeliever can't receive them. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, we have, have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now, that will be a Bible study in itself. We've received the spirit of God. What for? To communicate to us the things prepared for those who love him. Unfortunately, most Christians never look into it. So they never get thrilled about what the Lord has got for them. But that's why you've got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit in you, is to show you what things God has made freely available. Most Christians sort of live at 30% all the time. The 70%, they've never bothered to check with the Holy Spirit what God's got for them. In every situation, God's got an answer. He's got something fantastic to reveal to you. But it's only through the Spirit that it comes. And so often we begin in the spirit and we end up in the flesh. And then we wonder, oh Lord, I'm only 30% blessed tonight. The 70% which could be received by your spirit hasn't been received. Not at all. You've gone straight through into the flesh. Which things we also, we speak. Do we? Do we speak the things that God has prepared for us? We should do. Which things also we speak? Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. That's true. No one uh, listening to you going on about what Jesus has given you could say, oh, isn't that marvellous? He couldn't. An unbeliever couldn't receive it. But a believer knows exactly what you're talking about. An unbeliever just says, you're mad. I can't receive that. That's silly. But a believer just knows what you're talking about. Not in the words which man's wisdom te teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, I'm going to read that again. But the natural man, and in Greek, it's actually the soulish man, the man who can only pick up information in his soul, the soulish man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, it does leave us with a problem. By the way, that phrase can also mean the, the soulish believer. The soulish believer so often can't enter into the things of the Spirit of God, because he analyzes them with his mind. Or she analyzes them with her mind. And it's, it's a barrier. You can't go on into the deep things of the spirit because they're revealed to your spirit. You see? But the problem we've got now here is an unbeliever. The unbeliever has not got a spirit. And the gospel is spiritual information. Now that's a problem. 
Because it says, the soulish man receiveth not the spiritual things. And here you've got an unbeliever. He's only got a soul. And the gospel is spiritual information. How were you saved? It's impossible, so it seems. But here's the grace and the glory of God. Because the Holy Spirit comes along and he replaces the unbeliever's dead spirit. In fact, it is the purpose of the Holy Spirit to convict man of sin. He hasn't got a spirit. He can't pick up the gospel. And yet it's a spiritual thing. So the Holy Spirit, by grace, comes in to an unbeliever and starts preaching the gospel in his ears. Now, this is amazing because, you see, if God were not graceful, if God did not love the whole world, the Holy Spirit would have nothing to do with an unbeliever. Yet there is not a person sitting in this room tonight who is a Christian who has not been saved by the unheard and the unseen ministry of the Holy Spirit. When you were incapable of taking in spiritual information, the Holy Spirit bridged the gap and he started preaching the gospel at you. There is not one unbeliever on this earth today that the Holy Spirit isn't preaching the gospel to. You see, it's God's will that every man is saved. And if God, it's God's will that every man saved, he will give every man the gospel. And the Holy Spirit comes in and he preaches the gospel. And he convicts man of sin. And he reveals things to a man. Now the unbeliever still then has to make the choice. Am I going to believe in the Lord Jesus or am I not? That's not the question we're on tonight. The question we're on is that the Holy Spirit has revealed the information. But the word of God plays a part too. And it's a very important part. Because if the word of God has been put in the soul, and I mean by that you can give an unbeliever a John's Gospel to read. It makes it so much easier. Because the Holy Spirit has ammunition inside. You see? It's so marvellous. The word of God has a very powerful place to play in our lives as well as in the lives of non-Christians. If you are able to speak the word of God to unbelievers, it can do so much. How many people, for example, have been saved just by reading John's Gospel? It's quite a lot. It really is a vast number. The Gospel has gone into the soul. The Gospel information has gone into the soul. And the Holy Spirit has revealed the spiritual truths contained within it. Now it's marvellous. And that's why, you know, if you are talking to non-Christians... Instead of putting over your ideas, it's much easier to put over the Word of God. To meet their arguments, not with your intellect, but to meet their, your, their arguments with the Word of God and quotations from the Word of God. Because with that in their soul, and the Holy Spirit preaching to them, well, it's marvellous. You see, it really is. It's a powerful relationship. Now, so here we've got a believer. A believer is one who believes. Here, the Holy Spirit had preached the gospel to the unbeliever, and the unbeliever had said, I believe it. And that makes him a believer. And he was born again, what's that mean? His spirit, which was dead, came back to life. Now that's what we call regeneration. And the third stone in the barrier, physical birth, the problem that man is born physically alive but spiritually dead, is solved by regeneration. You know, when you're born, you are born into a family. It's a physical thing. But in order to get to heaven, you have to be born again into a spiritual family. Your spirit, which died in Adam, has got to come back to life. Now, of course, you know where I'm going to turn now. Would you turn, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. <coughs> Nicodemus. <coughs> Nicodemus. And we'll take this verse by verse, going right through to verse 21. There was a man of the Pharisees. Now, immediately we learn something about him. He was a Pharisee. What did that mean? It meant he was a very religious man. He would uh, pray at least seven times a day. He'd pop off to the temple at least three times a day. And we think we're pretty good if we do that on Sunday. Or do we? Um, <laughs> but he used to go three times every day. 
to the temple. He had to, to be a, Phari uh, to be a Pharisee. Prayed at least seven times. Now, that didn't mean individual prayers. That mean, it meant getting down and praying uh, at specific hours during the day. You see, he had to do it. He also would have to give something of his money and of his time. In fact, he probably spent most of his day either having theological debates and talking about theology, they used to talk about God non-stop, or go, go around helping people and doing good. He was a Pharisee. This is a very religious man, and he's coming to meet Jesus. Well, now something's going to happen. His name, Nicodemus. Now, we, before reading the end of verse 1, the word Nicodemus, the name Nicodemus, means a ruler of the people. And then it qualifies it, it goes on, a ruler of the Jews. He's not only a ruler of the people by name, he's ruler of the Jews, because we learn that. Uh, no matter how you cut it, this is a VIP with capital letters. He's a very important person. He's a Pharisee, and he's a ruler of the Jews. He would be one of the people that the Jews would come to if they had something they didn't understand, and he would uh, explain it to them. Or if there was an argument, they'd come to Nicodemus and he'd have the wisdom to settle the argument. He was very wise, he'd studied hard, his soul was enormous. But the soul cannot receive the spiritual things. He was a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. Now, I'm not going on about the by night bit. Most uh, people who talk about this always say, oh, it's by night. You see, he was afraid of coming to Jesus in the daytime. Well, uh, it might have been true. On the other hand, he might have been so busy doing good and having theological arguments that his whole day was used up and it was the only time he could fit in. I sometimes get into that state, you know, where nighttime is the only time I have for, for seeing people. So this might have been Nicodemus. Anyway, he came to Jesus by night. And what does he say? Rabbi. Jesus had impressed this man. He'd already called him Professor. He'd already given Jesus some degrees. He was so impressed with, with Jesus. But, you know, intelligence is soulish. A believer, when he approached the Lord Jesus, would say, Lord, the word Lord um, has lost its meaning very largely. But in Greek, it has distinct overtones of deity. If you called someone Lord, you meant they were God. And in the Septuagint, uh, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Often Jehovah, Adonai, and Elohim are often replaced by the Greek word kurios, or Lord. You see, it's implicit that God's in it. That's the thing. And if a person ever said to, G to Jesus, Lord, he meant you are God. This man was not a believer. He turns up, he's been impressed with his, in his soul by Jesus. He says, Rabbi... Well, there we are, that speaks for itself. Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Now, I want to spend a bit of time on this verse too, because a very important principle comes out here. Nicodemus had got it right. He says to Jesus, we know you're a teacher come from God. Why? Because no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. God was so gracious to the Jews. He told them about Messiah, the Anointed One, who was to come. But he also told them what Messiah was going to do. And Isaiah, we'll read some passages in Isaiah. Isaiah gives us a lot of information, so does Zechariah. So that the Jews at the time could recognize that any man coming along was Messiah, if he fulfilled certain passages in Isaiah. The miracles Jesus did were the proof to the Jews that he was the Messiah. Now, there were other signs as well. For example, the 30 pieces of silver thrown down in the temple. That was a sign. In fact, Zechariah said, next time you see this happening, Messiah's with you. And the people standing in the temple with the 30 uh, pieces of silver thrown down, they all knew Zechariah. The Pharisees probably knew the whole of the Old Testament off by heart. Immediately, Zechariah will come to mind. They knew Messiah was with them. By the way, tongues was a sign to the Jews that Messiah had come. 
you see. In fact, Isaiah warned them. He said, one day there are going to be people who will preach the gospel in stammering tongues. Gentile tongues. And when that happens, Messiah's come. It was a sign to the Jews. But the miracles were a sign to the Jews. A distinct sign. Let's have a look at some of these. Turn to Isaiah 29, please. Keep your finger in the place, of course, as far as John 3 is concerned. Isaiah 29 and verse 18 and 19. Remember, please, the Pharisees knew Isaiah. They learnt it off by heart. Verse 18. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Never had such things happened in Israel. Never had they happened. And here's Isaiah saying, they're going to happen. In the day that Messiah comes, they're going to happen. He repeats it so many times. Let's have a look at another. Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, and uh, beginning verse 3. Strengthen ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Who's that? That's Jesus. God is coming to save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. This is 700 years before Jesus came on the scene, and it was all written out. When Messiah comes, there are going to be miracles occurring in the days. And the miracles of Jesus were the proof to the world that he was the Messiah to Israel. And any person who was a believer knew that Messiah had come. He didn't have to look any further. Some of them doubted. Let's have a look at John the Baptist for a moment, shall we? Just turn quickly to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Now, remember, John the Baptist it was who had actually said to Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God that takest away the sins of the world. John knew by the Spirit that Jesus was the Messiah to come. But it had been some time, and John was now in prison. And doubt had crept in to his mind. It, things hadn't turned out quite as he had expected. And it came to pass, this is verse 1, And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. I love that verse, because notice, Jesus went away with the disciples to teach the word of God to them. And he didn't go down to preach to the other people until after he'd been with his disciples. And that's what we're doing tonight. We're gathered round the word of God tonight. We're not out preaching because it's necessary. Every one of us needs to be equipped in the gospel. Verse 2. Now when John, this is John the Baptist, had heard in the prison the works of Christ didn't hear the words, he heard of the works of Christ. He sent two of his disciples and said unto Jesus, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Are you Messiah, or should we look for someone else? Jesus didn't say yes, and he didn't say no. He knew, John knew his Old Testament. So what did he do? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do, uh, which you, ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. There was his answer to John. And John knew from Isaiah, yes, it was Messiah, all right. This had never happened before. Jesus' answer, I think, was lovely, because he answered in spiritual terms to a spiritual man. It's lovely. There we go. Actually, parts of the law 
in the Old Testament were actually written so that Jesus was the only one who could do it, fulfill them. And I think I will just digress slightly and deal with that. Would you turn to Leviticus chapter 13 and 14? Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. Now I'm not going to read all of these. Um, you can read them in your own leisure. At least you'll know whether you've got leprosy by the time you reach the end. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 13. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man shall have in the skin of his flesh a rising, a scab or bright spot, and it be in the skin of his flesh like the plague of leprosy, then shall he be brought unto Aaron the priest, or unto one of his sons the priests. And the priest shall look on the plague in the skin of the flesh, and when the hair in the plague is turned white, and the plague in sight be deeper than the skin of the flesh, it is a plague of leprosy. And the priest shall look on him and pronounce him unclean. Now, all the priests knew this passage off by heart. In fact, it was happening every day. People were coming all the time saying, excuse me, is this leprosy? They knew Leviticus 13 so well they could tell whether it was leprosy. And they knew whether they were to leave them on, on one side for seven days and then have another look. They knew whether they were to demolish their house and burn all their linen. Or whether they were to leave the house for seven days. And if it got worse, then to burn it and demolish it. They knew exactly what was happening. They applied Leviticus 13 constantly. The sting comes in Leviticus 14. Would you turn to Leviticus 14? That's one chapter on. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest, and the priest shall go forth out of the camp, because all the lepers were outside the camp, and the priest shall look, and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then shall the priest command to take for him that is to be cleansed two birds alive and clean, and cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop. And anyway, then it gives the order. All the priests knew that as well. But there's one thing about leprosy. It's an incurable disease. No man who was leprous ever got well. So Leviticus 14 was never applied. Leviticus 13 was applied all the time. Leviticus 14 was never applied. And from the time that this was written, for some 1600 years, let's say, Leviticus 14 was learnt, but it was never applied until Jesus came on the scene. Let's have a look. Matthew chapter 8. This was quite a shock for the priests. Matthew chapter 8 and beginning verse 1. Matthew chapter 8 verse 1. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord... Now, this is a believer. First of all, he worships Jesus. And you only worship God. And then he says, Lord, Lord God, if thou wilt, if and you will, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. By the way, many people who talk on this passage, they spend eight hours talking about how he, he touched the leper but they missed the glory of it, unfortunately, which comes afterwards. He touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now remember this, leprosy even today is incurable. This leper had his leprosy cleansed. Now what did Jesus say? Jesus said unto him, See thou tellest no man. Don't tell anyone. I don't want anyone to hear about this. But... Go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. 
You see, the man's words couldn't have done anything, but the word of God inside those priests could do more than the Holy Spirit. Well, you can just imagine, he sauntered in to see the priest, he, or rather he called the priest out saying, excuse me, could you come here? The priest goes out, he says, I'm healed of leprosy. The priest knew, probably, that the man had leprosy, because he was probably the one who, who put Leviticus 13 into action. He says, you've been healed of leprosy? Now, come on. No one's ever been healed of leprosy. I have. And I want Leviticus 14 put into action. Leviticus 14? We've never done Leviticus 14. It's impossible. No man's ever been healed of leprosy before. What? And can you imagine the storm when he got back? All the other priests. Leviticus 14? A man wanted Leviticus 14. What's this? What it was, it was Messiah. Messiah had come upon them. And this was another gracious sign in the law, that Messiah had come. Now, it's wonderful, isn't it? It's marvellous. This is grace. Grace is God revealing himself to man when man doesn't earn or deserve it. So, let's turn back now to John 3 and see Nicodemus. We've left him in rather a bad condition. He's an unbeliever. I'm going to read verse 2 again because it's thrilling. <laughs> Most people are so busy getting on to regeneration, they don't bother with verse 2, but it's lovely. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Now what does Jesus do at this particular point? This is very important. Jesus does not continue in an intellectual discussion. No. The man wants to talk theology, wants to talk about God, but the real truth about God is spiritual. It's spiritual. And the problem with Nicodemus is, he hasn't got a spirit. He had one, but it had died in Adam. What does Jesus say? He cuts straight across him. Now, um, you would be learnt that this is a bad way to witness. It was a very successful way to witness for Jesus. Here was Nicodemus, ready to have an intellectual argument. I probably would have started talking intellectually, hoping I could drag it round to the Lord. Jesus has nothing to do with it. He says this, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, and it's two words, Amen, 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 I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus immediately brings the main point to Nicodemus. He says, look, you want to talk about God, but you can't because you're not born again. It doesn't matter how religious you are. I'm not a bit impressed, Jesus might have said, by your going to the temple three times a day, by your kneeling all day, by your giving everything you've got to the church or to the synagogue. I'm not impressed. You cannot receive spiritual information until you're born again. Your spirit has got to come to life this is no good. This is the answer. This is Jesus giving him the gospel. Now, here we are. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus cannot respond spiritually. He has not got a spirit. He can't do it. All he can react is soulishly. And he does very well. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? What? You've said to me, I've got to be born again. You mean, I've, I've got to become a baby again? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? You see, he hasn't got a spirit. It's, it's foolishness. What Jesus had said to him was foolishness. And he knows that Jesus is a teacher come from God. He respects Jesus. So he says, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe you're saying this. No, come on. You mean I've got to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Now, that's silly. So Jesus gives him more information on this point. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I, amen, amen, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now notice, in verse 3, he said, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Here he's amplified it a bit and says you can't enter the kingdom of God. 
You cannot get to heaven without being born again. Now what does this mean? I say unto thee, except a man... Sorry, next verse. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Now the moment water appears, most people jump to baptism immediately. It has nothing to do with baptism. This is not talking about baptism. The word spirit, actually, and the word wind are the same Greek word. And in uh, chapter 3, John 3, um, wherever you read wind and whenever you read spirit, it's exactly the same Greek word, and it's quite confusing. But let's see it from both aspects. Let's assume it's both wind and it's spirit. Let's see the wind first. Let's say it again. Except a man be born of water and the wind or water and wind, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And what we've got to remember is this. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He knows his Old Testament. And the moment wind and water were mentioned to Nicodemus, something would enter into his mind concerning the Exodus. Wind and water. In fact, he will probably be able to quote it almost immediately. Keep your finger in the place and let's turn to it. Exodus 14, 19. Now, I'm going to give the spiritual aspect of this in just a moment as well. We have to remember that Jesus knew that Nicodemus could not take in spiritual information. He's not going to talk to Nicodemus as he would to a Christian. He's going to talk to him as a Jew. And Nicodemus knew about the Exodus. Exodus 14, 19. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. Have I got the right verse? Yes. Yes. Uh, This is 19. Yes. Removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came uh, between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. This is it, verse 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all the night, and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. Now can you see, it wasn't just the waters that parted, it was a wind that caused the waters to part. Up to this time, Israel was living a perfectly natural life. But to get them into the land, God had to do a miracle. It had to be a spiritual birth of a nation. And God raised up an east wind. And the waters were parted. And the nation of Israel was born out of the waters and the wind. The nation was reborn at this moment. Pharaoh's armies were about to destroy the nation. But they were given a second birth. And by a miracle of God, and it was only God that could do it, they became a nation. Nicodemus was now beginning to see. Jesus was talking about something spiritual. He was talking about a spiritual rebirth. Now let's look at this from the point of view of a Christian. Let's go back to John 3. Except a man be born of water, and, now let's translate it, of the Spirit. (coughs) Of the Spirit. Now, in the Bible, water has three main uses, and I think it's worth getting these down. First of all, it's used of the Gospel. That's the first thing. It's used of the Gospel. Isaiah 55, don't turn to it, but I'll read it to you. Isaiah 55 and verse 1 says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labour for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Uh, And it's the gospel. And if you read on there, he's giving them the gospel. So water, first of all, means the gospel. It's used in the same way in Revelation 22, verse 17. And uh, it's a good idea to 
check these up afterwards. And of course, thirst is often talked of in relation to non-Christians. You know, we often say they're thirsty for the Lord. You see, blessed are ye who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You see, these are terms used. The gospel is one use of water. The second use is the word of God. Water also is used in the Bible as the word of God. Ephesians 5.26 Jesus cleansed the church by the washing of the water by the word. And the word of God is talked of as water. The third thing is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Water is often used for the Holy Spirit. And uh, John 7, 37 to 39. Out of your innermost parts shall flow rivers of living water. And that's the Holy Spirit. Now which one does it mean here? Can it mean the gospel? No, it can't, because Jesus is talking about salvation. It doesn't mean that. And as he says, lest a man be born again of the water and the Spirit, it can't mean the Holy Spirit either. It means the Word of God. It means the Word of God. And all this is saying is, unless you know about the Gospel, you receive it by the Word of God. And unless the Holy Spirit has come and preached the Gospel to you, you cannot enter the Kingdom of Heaven. And here you've got it, the Holy Spirit acting as a man's spirit to communicate the things of God with him. And once a man believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, he enters the kingdom of God. Now, there we go. Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The Israel in Egypt was one Israel. The Israel out of Egypt was another Israel. And with us, our bodies are not suitable for heaven. Heaven is a spiritual domain, and you need a spiritual body to be there. We call it a resurrection body, and each one of us is going to get it. You'll either get it when you're raptured, or you're going to get it when you die. A spiritual body. Why do you need a spiritual body? Because you're going to live in a spiritual house. That's why. And a physical body won't do. You've got to be born again. Your spirit has got to come to life. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And theology is flesh. The truth is spirit. There it is. Uh, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. Verse 7. Now, Nicodemus was standing here. His eyes were popping out. He was shocked. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe what was being said to him. And Jesus says, Marvel not. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And to illustrate it, he then talks about the wind. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, or whither it goeth. To demonstrate what Jesus has been saying, he's going to use an illustration, and his illustration is the wind. He says this, you don't know where the wind begins, you don't know where the wind ends, you can't see the wind... You can hear it, but you can't see it. But it's real. If you're sitting in your car and the wind blows a tree down on top, you have no doubt that the wind exists. It's real. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. But it's real. Dust gets in your eyes. The wind's real, all right. The people who suffered this tornado in America, they know the wind's re real. They can't see it. They know it is. And the new birth is as real as the wind is. You can't see it. Perhaps you don't feel it, but it's real. And that's the illustration that he's giving. Nicodemus, his eyes were popping out. He couldn't, he couldn't take it. It was too much, too much information. And Jesus gave him a quick illustration of the wind. He says, you believe in the wind, don't you? Well, you've never seen that. Well, the new birth that occurs inside when a person believes on the Lord Jesus Christ is as real as the wind. It starts knocking down trees inside. It starts uprooting trees inside. It starts turning cars over inside. It's real. And there's the demonstration. The wind bloweth where it listeth. The word listeth means where it wants, where it desires, where it wills. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So, and notice the colon there, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. 
the new birth inside a person who is born again is as real as the wind is. Verse 9. Now, here's this brilliant man with a brilliant answer. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? What? I don't understand it. Of course he doesn't. He's not born again yet. He can't receive the information yet, but he's going to. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. I'll just read verse 12. If I have told you earthly things, in verse 11, he says, we. If we have told you, sorry, we speak things we do know, and testify that we have seen. Now, have the disciples seen it? Not really. Who's the we? It's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They're both getting at Nicodemus at this moment. Jesus is providing the word of God and the Holy Spirit is providing the spiritual antenna to take in the information. It's very important. The we there is so important. And notice the confidence he's got. Do you have that confidence when you talk about Jesus? Can you say to any unbeliever, I'm talking about something that I know about. It's real. Because you should be able to. You should be able to. And you could even say, we... Because as you're talking, the Holy Spirit's talking as well. Isn't that marvellous? The royal we, and it is royal here. The royal personages themselves, preaching the gospel. We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. Verse 12. If, and I have, if I have told you earthly things, and what earthly things did he tell you? About the exodus. About the wind blowing. And how real that is. If I told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? If you can't even receive it with your soul, how can you receive heavenly things? Verse 13, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Here's another of them. Notice the tense, and it's important, and it's accurately translated. No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven. By the way, in the Old Testament, there were millions of people saved, but they did not go to heaven. They went to a place called paradise, and they were kept in paradise. Jesus said to the robber on the, the cross, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Because when Jesus died, he went down to the believers in paradise. And according to Ephesians 4, he transferred them up to heaven. When he ascended, he led captivity captive. The people caught in paradise, he led them up into heaven. But Jesus had to go into heaven first. So when Jesus is talking here, no man had been to heaven. Only Jesus. You see, now it's not true. Now there are millions of people in heaven at this moment. Every believer, every person who's believed on the Lord Jesus Christ in one moment of their life and has died, is now in heaven. We're there too, for he has raised us up to be with him in heavenly places. We're there too. And so Jesus is able to say just this, No man hath ascended at all up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, and this is Jesus. And the first thing he did when he rose from the dead, he ascended to his Father. He ascended to his Father even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Now, this is the difference between his humanity and his deity. You see? In the flesh, Jesus had come down from heaven. But in his deity, that is, his godliness, he was still in heaven. You see, God is omnipresent. And Jesus, as God, was both on the earth and he was in heaven at that very instant. And that's why it's used there. That very instance as he was talking, his humanity was talking, and his humanity was on the earth. But his divinity was both on the earth and in heaven. That's why he says, which is in heaven. And don't stop there. Although sometimes uh, a little mark is put in saying that's the end of that bit. It goes on. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, with all this introduction, Jesus is now on the punchline. Here comes the gospel to Nicodemus. Here it is. And we talked about this, was it last time or the time before? That whosoever, and that includes you, Nicodemus, believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Nicodemus is still sitting there. These are the words of Jesus. They're so often quoted as John 3:16. They're not, they're Jesus. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. You know, most people quote John uh, 3.16. They don't realise it's still part of the Nicodemus story. There's been no break yet. Jesus hasn't finished. Jesus wouldn't leave him suspended. He's going to give him the rest. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world... And here I am, Nicodemus, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And it ends there. The end of what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Now I'm not going to talk about the last passage because we've seen it in, in passing in the last few weeks and we're going to see more in the next weeks. But you see, the gospel message was got over to Nicodemus but it begun, had begun with the fact that Nicodemus had, has got to be born again. Jesus is saying, before you can even think of entering the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be born again. You see, the barrier that we've seen of physical birth was stopping Nicodemus from going on. Jesus said the answer's regeneration. The answer's regeneration. And by the way, I can now cross out that stone. Jesus redeemed us. He atoned for us. He died for the sins of the whole world. And by his Holy Spirit, he's now provided regeneration, which takes care of Adam's sin, because in Adam, all die, but in Christ, shall all be made alive. Now let's just, we haven't quite finished with Nicodemus, let's just see what happened to him, shall we? He became a believer, Nicodemus. It worked. He was honest before the Lord, and he became a believer. We don't know when he became a believer, but we have two other references to him. Let's have a look at them. John 7.50. John 7.50. I think we'd better take it in context. So we'll begin verse 40. We'll begin verse 40. John 7, 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Which prophet? The prophet spoken of by Moses in Deuteronomy. They recognized Jesus as the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? There were some who knew their Bibles, you see, and they knew that a prophet didn't come out of Galilee. He was going to come from Bethlehem. It's a pity they didn't find out more about Jesus, and they would have discovered their error. Verse 42, hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David, and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this. Marvellous, look at the authority he had. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Are ye also deceived? These are the rulers of the people talking. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? They're saying, look, have any of the rulers believed? Have the Pharisees believed? Of course not. Therefore he can't be, of course he can't be the Christ. The Pharisees would tell you if he were. But there was one ruler who was very near. And his name was Nicodemus. And he was there. 
Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. You don't know the Old Testament. That's your trouble. That's why you're being taken in, they say. Nicodemus saith unto them, and in brackets, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them. Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. Now it might have been at this moment that Nicodemus said, That's true, no prophet comes out of Galilee. And he might have gone back to Jesus and said, Excuse me, where were you born? And Jesus might have said, Bethlehem. And Nicodemus might have said, That's it. That's it. You're, you're the Messiah. It might have been. We don't know. We're not given the information. It's a guess. But I think it's a likely guess. Anyway, the end result was Nicodemus was born again. John 19. John 19. And 39. Oh, 38. This is after the death of Jesus. After the death of Jesus. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, be about an hundred pound weight. There we are. Isn't it thrilling? Nicodemus, this is the same fellow. He loved Jesus so much that he took his body down. And by the way, Nicodemus was still a believer, despite the fact he saw Jesus' dead body. He was still a believer at this moment. The thrill when he heard that Jesus had risen from the dead. He'd suddenly understand all of John chapter 3, which perhaps he was still puzzling over at that time. Isn't it thrilling? The Holy Spirit is the one that imparts spiritual information. The Holy Spirit does it. And you as an unbeliever, have to be born again before you can take spiritual information. But as a believer, the Holy Spirit is there to do something slightly different, to reveal the freedom and the glories that God has got for those who love him. There it is. I just give end on a few scriptures. Um, John 1, 12. John 1, 12, and we'll understand this now. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, that's a person who's believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, to them gave he power or the right or authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The moment you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives you the power through the Holy Spirit be born again. And once you're born again, you are born into a spiritual family. Now God is your father, because you've been born into the family of God. Titus 3.5 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Titus 3.5 We'll read from 4, Titus 3, 4 and 5. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Saviour. Jesus is our Saviour, by the way. He's also God. And love of God, our Saviour, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. You didn't earn your salvation. You haven't lived a life that meant you're so good that God had to give it to you. Not at all. Not, repeat, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, that's grace, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. There it is. And finally, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Ralph is looking a bit worried now, so we'll end on this one. 
verse 22. We've had it already this evening. For as in Adam all die. Is that true? Yes, it's true. You are dead in Adam. Just like if your father had died when he was young, you would be dead in your father. All are dead in Adam. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. And notice what it says. It says, in Christ. How do you get in Christ? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are put by the Holy Spirit in Christ. Now, it's one of the things that happens when you're born again, when you believe on the Lord. The Holy Spirit comes and takes you, and he joins you in Christ. You become a fully paid-up member of the body of Christ, automatically by grace that happens to you. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Our life is hid with Christ in God. You are in Christ Jesus, and so in Christ shall all be made alive. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Amen.